Good afternoon, everyone. In a previous sermon, I began a discussion of the history of apostasy against God that we find in the Bible. Actually, this is a thread that runs throughout the Bible as mankind in general has been in a state of rebellion against God since the time of the Garden of Eden. Yet most people, even many if not most professing Christians seem unaware of this fact. In fact, you might say that the subject of apostasy in general is rarely if ever discussed in most churches. And so it's not a wonder that few people who consider themselves Christians really understand or even have knowledge uh, to any great extent about this subject. But as I asked in a previous sermon, why is this important? The answer is that understanding what has happened in the past can help us avoid the same mistakes in the future. And this is absolutely vital. And it can also help us to better understand the prophecies of the future and what to expect in the days leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. It might also explain why the world is the way it is today and what's wrong with the world and why the world is headed in the direction that it's headed. So if you want to understand the Bible, you must understand the history of apostasy that is recorded in the Bible. So that's why I'm covering this subject. As I pointed out, the words relating to apostasy in the Bible indicate rebellion against God and his laws. And perhaps later in a, another sermon, I'll discuss in uh, considerably more detail the various words <clears throat> used in the Bible that relate to this subject, or at least some of them. In the previous sermon, I listed a summary in summary fashion, apostasies that have occurred in a chronological order, more or less, starting out with Adam and Eve. Actually, it would have been better to have started the list with the apostasy of Satan or Lucifer, which I discussed in the introductory sermon to this series. But in the summary, besides that apostasy, I included Adam and Eve, Cain, the pre-flood world, Nimrod, who led the world into apostasy, and it's an apostasy which continues to this day. The, the Egyptian Pharaoh of the Exodus, Israel in the wilderness, Israel and Canaan, Saul, Solomon, and other kings of Israel and Judah, <clears throat> false prophets in Israel and Judah, the people of Israel and Judah in the era of the kings, Jewish leaders in the populace under the influence of Antiochus Epiphanes, Jewish leaders at the time of Christ, false teachers and apostates among the New Testament church, false teachers and apostates in the dark ages following the New Testament era, false teachers and apostates in the Middle Ages, false teachers and apostates in the eras since the Middle Ages, false teachers and apostates in the future and, and apostasy after the millennium. And all of these apostasies, <clears throat> as I mentioned, are actually alluded to or discussed in the Bible. Today I want to pick up the thread of the history 
of apostasy, starting with the apostasy of Israel in the wilderness. Even though God had delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, there was never any firm loyalty or faithfulness to God during their time in the wilderness, nor even as God was working miracles to free them before they got into the wilderness. As the Israelites were departing from Egypt, in fact, and saw Pharaoh's army coming after them, they said to Moses, as we read in Exodus 14, beginning with verse 11, Exodus 14, verse 11, the people said, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. So this was the on-again, off-again off attitude of the people of Israel as a whole. They had no faith, really, in God. And so they feared the, the army of Pharaoh. Of course, Pharaoh's army was dealt with by God, and the people of Israel went out of Egypt without being harmed. Later on, the Israelites feared the people of Canaan. And God had told them he would drive out from before them as punishment for the sins of the Canaanites. We read in Numbers 14, verse 1, Numbers 14, verse 1, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader to return to Egypt. So this was open rebellion. They wanted to overthrow Moses, whom God appointed as their leader, and reject him and reject God and go back to Egypt. goes on in verse 5, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now, I might interject here that often fear is a factor in apostasy or rebellion against God, the wrong kind of fear, fearing things that should not be feared or certainly should not be feared more than we fear God. And this was the case here with the Israelites, fearing first the armies of Pharaoh, 
And then, as we see, fearing the weapons of the people of Canaan into whose land they were destined to go. In verse 10, it says, All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. Now, God had performed many miracles up to this point in delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt and feeding them, giving them water in the wilderness and performing other miracles for them. And yet it took very little to cause them to willfully reject God. And even as we read here, they weren't wanting to stone the people who had spied out the land who were in, trying to encourage them to not rebel against God. But Israel would not listen. They continually provoked God with their rebellion and unfaithfulness. So in response, God pronounced this sentence. In Numbers 14 and verse 21, he said, truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Going on in verse 29, it says, The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity, and your carcasses, or, or until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there they shall die. So here was punishment for their apostasy and their rebellion against God. That generation were prevented from going into the land of promise. Now this Remember that the promised land is a type of the promises that God gives to us spiritually, especially the promise of his kingdom. And that tells us that God is very patient, but there is a limit to his patience. And 
if we follow that kind of example, we could be denied in, uh, ad admission to God's kingdom. So this is something that we need to learn a serious lesson from. During the sojourn in the wilderness following this incident, the Israelites continued to pro provoke God with their rebellion. And many of them continued to worship the false gods of the heathen, even as God was feeding them and providing for them in the wilderness sojourn. In Amos 5 and verse 25, Amos 5 verse 25, God asks, did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness, 40 years, house of Israel? You also carried the tabernacle of Moloch and Raphan, another name for the god Saturn, your star god, your images which you made for yourselves. And this is this particular verse is from the New Heart English Bible translation. So they were carrying the images of their false gods during this 40-year period in the wilderness, even as God was providing for their needs and so forth. So they were in a more or less perpetual state of rebellion and apostasy. And there were other rebellions, as I mentioned, in the wilderness. And the experience of Israel in the wilderness is summarized as a lesson to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. Now I would not have you ignorant, brothers, and this is also from the New Heart English translation, I would not have you ignorant, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. However, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit sexual immorality as some of them committed. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Neither let us test the Lord as some of them tested and perished by the serpents. Neither grumble, as some of them also grumbled and perished by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them by way of example, and they were written for our admonition, on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands be careful that he does not fall. Notice it says these things were written for our admonition. And... If we think we stand, we need to be careful, or as it says in the New King James, take heed, lest we fall. Because we're not necessarily immune to the same kinds of mistakes that the vast majority of the Israelites made 
and many others down through history. Israel was led into the land of Canaan eventually to take possession of it around 1405 B.C. By the time of Samuel, they had dwelt in Canaan after occupying most of it for nearly 400 years. And during that time, they continued to provoke God and to rebel against him time after time. During that period that lasted more than 300 years, close to 400 years. It's summarized in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 24. Nehemiah 9 verse 24, So the children went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands, this is speaking of God subduing them, gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they pleased. They took fortified cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all good things. Cisterns dug out vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, became fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. So the land of Canaan, when the Israelites went into, it was not exactly a wilderness. It was a land that was largely cultivated and uh, cisterns were dug for uh, fresh water. There were vineyards and olive groves and, and uh, other kinds of fruit, orchards that had been planted, and no doubt other kinds of uh, produce was developed as well when the Israelites went into the land. Then we, then we read in Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 2, beginning with verse 7. Now, as you might remember, Moses had died prior to the people of Israel entering the land of Canaan, and Joshua actually led them into the land of their inheritance. And in verse 7 of Judges 2, it says, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord that he had worked for Israel. So this was this leader, Joshua, who was faithful, and he had other people who were faithful serving with him. But when that generation died out, Joshua, having lived for 110 years, it says in verse 9, they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Tamnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, on the north of the mountain of Gaash. Also all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there rose another generation after them who didn't know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had worked for Israel. Now, this says they did not know the Lord, and this was not because they had not been taught who God was, it was not because they had not been instructed by the priests and the elders in Israel, but it was because they evidently ignored what they were taught, did not learn the lessons. And in verse 11, it says, the children of Israel did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, 
and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, the gods of the peoples who were around about them and bowed themselves down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. So they forsook God. They were following an apostasy, a rebellion against God. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers who despoiled them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were sore distressed. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who despoiled them. Yet they did not listen to their judges for they played the prostitute after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly out of the way in which their fathers walked obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not do so. When the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and saved them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for it grieved the Lord because of their groaning by reason of those who oppressed them and troubled them. So notice that God, in spite of their persistent rebellion, would exact punishment on them, but he, then he would relent, feeling compassion for them, and send a judge to deliver them out of their suffering. And in verse 19, it goes on to say, but it happened when the judge was dead that they turned back and dealt more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them, and to bow down to them, and they did not cease from their doings, nor from their stubborn way. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this nation have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not listened to my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations that Joshua left when he died that by them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers kept it or not. So the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither del delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. So the peoples of the Canaanites who were left, God left alone. And they became a thorn in the side of Israel throughout its history because of their rebellion. In Judges 3, beginning with verse 1, it goes on with this history. Now, this is Joshua 3 and verse 1. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing of it. Namely, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on 
Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. They were left to prove Israel by them to know whether they would listen to the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by Moses. The children of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The children of Israel did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years when the children of Israel cried to the Lord. The Lord raised up a savior to the children of Israel who saved them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came on him and he judged Israel and he went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim king of Mesopotamia into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Cushan Rishathaim. The land had rest 40 years. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. The children of Israel again did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and he went and struck Israel, and they possessed the city of palm trees. The children of, of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised them up a savior, Ehud, the son of Gera the Benjamite, a man left-handed. The children of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And so it goes. One rebellion, one apostasy after another, interrupted by periods when God would deliver them and they would have a faithful judge for a period of time and then go right back into apostasy. And so this was the history of the period of the judges before there was a human king in Israel. The nation would rebel, God would punish them and deliver them and they would soon rebel again, turning from God to serve idols. And this period is summed up in Judges 21, verse 25. Judges 21, verse 25, where it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Notice they weren't doing what was right in God's eyes or according to God's laws, but they were doing what was right in their own eyes. Finally, after some 300 years, somewhere between 300 and 400 years, the people demanded a king. Now you might, you might think about this. This was from about 1405 until um, until shortly before the 10th century B.C. And uh, the United States as a nation 
has only existed for um, less than 250 years. So this is a long period of time, in, in at least uh, as, as we might uh, compare it with our own history as a nation, that this occurred. So the people demanded a king, a physical human king to rule over them. They were not satisfied with the system that God had established where the tribes were more or less uh, semi-independent and uh, free to govern their own affairs. They wanted a king over them. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning with verse 6, 1 Samuel 8, verse 6, so Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Notice God saw this as another in the, this long series of rebellions. They were rejecting not Samuel, who was a judge over them, but they were rejecting God, who was their invisible king. So God told Samuel, going on to verse 8, he said, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice, however you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king and said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties and will set some of them to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So God made a king over them, and Saul, a man named Saul, was appointed to be their king. Now the name Saul means to request or to demand. Saul was the king the people of Israel had demanded. And 
when Saul had been anointed king over Israel, we read in Samuel 10, beginning with verse 17, Samuel 10, verse 17, Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought Israel up out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And so they did so, and Samuel revealed Saul to them as their newly appointed king. But Samuel warned the people, going on in 1 Samuel 12, verse 12. 1 Samuel 12, verse 12. Samuel said to the people of Israel, When you saw that Nahash, king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now notice here that he said, if you rebel against the commandment of the Lord. To rebel against the commandments of God is rebelling against God. To reject God's commandments is apostasy. It is rebellion against God. And this is what they were told. And they were told that if they rejected the commandments of God, God would be against them. And in verse 16, it goes on saying, Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. Now this was the time of the wheat harvest. And if you're harvesting wheat or other crops, but especially grain crops like wheat, you don't want heavy rains and thunder and lightning because rain can ruin the field, beat down the grain that is ripe into the ground. Lightning can potentially set, it, set the fields on fire and burn them up. So that's not what you want at harvest time. And normally in Palestine in particular, it is dry during the harvest season. But God sent them thunder and rain. And uh, he said, uh, he did it so that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great 
which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves, because they were rejecting God. This was an apostasy against God. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. So they realized they were, uh, they had sinned, but it was a bit late by this time. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Now notice that God, despite all the provocations of Israel, had still not forsaken them. And he was still determined to work with them. Going on in verse 23, it says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So they were given this strict admonition not to turn away from God and to serve God in truth with all of their hearts. For a short, short while then, Saul seemed to do all right as king, but it wasn't long before he ran into trouble when he acted presumptuously in offering a sacrifice to God instead of waiting on Samuel the priest. We read about it in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, after Saul had done this, he said, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commanded over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Saul went on to continue to offend God, to rebel against God's instructions. His behavior became more and more erratic. And he eventually began to seek counsel of familiar spirits or demons mediums who at least pretended to be in touch with the dead uh, 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 who uh, pretended to be in touch with dead people but were really consorting with demons and uh, after reigning for 40 years which we find mentioned in Acts 13 verse 21 despite his um, shortcomings God allowed him to reign for 40 years but 
after that he died in battle. And so we read in 1 Chronicles 10 and verse 13 concerning Saul. It says, So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. That's from the King James Version. So Saul would have, of course, eventually died anyway, but but this specifically says that the time and manner of his death was punishment for his uh, rebellion against God's word and consorting with familiar spirits. And, uh, and uh, as we read, his uh, line of descent was not to continue ruling over Israel. And the house of Saul was replaced by the house of David, who was a man after God's own heart. As we read in Acts 13, Acts 13, verse 22, when he had removed him, that is, removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after I, my own heart, who will do all my will. This is how David is uh, characterized in, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22. Now, David was not perfect because no human being apart from Jesus Christ has been or is perfect. David did sin on occasion, and occasionally he committed some very serious sins, but he repented of his sins and he remained faithful to God to the end of his days. And upon his death, his son Solomon became the king of Israel. Soon after Solomon became king, we read in 1 Kings 3, beginning with verse 5, 1 Kings 3 and verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon and dreamed by night and said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. I think, I think Solomon was around 20-some years old at this time. In verse 8, it says, And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, 
nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you, uh, like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. That is in terms of his knowledge and wisdom. In verse 13, it goes on to say, I have given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So he not only gave Solomon what Solomon had asked for was the wisdom to rightly judge the people, but he also gave him riches and honor, and he told him that if he would obey and be faithful, then he would also lengthen his days. So Solomon started out on the right track. And he became world-renowned, so to speak, for his wisdom. And he, uh, his kingdom became exceedingly wealthy. It was, it was the uh, pinnacle of the power and wealth and influence of Israel during all of the history of Israel in ancient times. It was the leading kingdom on the face of the earth, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth during the reign of Solomon. And he actually, uh, the, uh, David had conquered territories all the way up to the Euphrates River to the border of Egypt. And uh, so it became an exceedingly wealthy and rich kingdom, a powerful kingdom. But as Solomon grew old, he allowed his many wives to cause him to commit a grievous sin of apostasy against God. We read in 1 Kings 11, 1 Kings 11, 11 and verse 1, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Now, you might take note of what happened here. Here was Solomon, the son of David, 
whom God had made king over Israel, had blessed with superabundant blessings, who knew God, to whom God had spoken directly at least twice, and yet he fell into apostasy, worshiping dumb idols. And yet he was reputed to be the wisest man on earth. Goes on to say in verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place. This is a place of worship for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So here, just to the east of Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives, were built all of these pagan high places, pagan uh, sanctuaries, temples. A and uh, <clears throat> so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So God told Solomon that he was going to take from him, from his progeny, the kingdom. Only he would leave at least one tribe for the house of David because of his promise to David, his servant. But there were actually 13 tribes if you count uh, Ephraim Manasseh and Manasseh's two tribes and the Levites would be uh, a total of 13 tribes. But uh, through a prophet, God spoke to a servant of Solomon named Jeroboam. And we read this in 1 Kings 11, beginning with verse 31. This prophet said to Jeroboam, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear out of the land of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. Give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the, God of, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes, 
and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I've made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires and you shall be a king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. Now notice that God was offering to Jeroboam the same deal that he gave to David. That if he would be faithful, that he would have an enduring house just as the house of David was to endure forever. If only he would be faithful and obey God's commandments. And he went on to say, I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. So when Solomon died, Jeroboam became king of the northern tribes of Israel. And that would have included all of the tribes except the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And the kingdom was split in two, the northern tribes being called Israel, the southern tribes being called the nation of Judah, which consisted of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin there and their territories. And then not long after that, most of the Levites left the northern part of the kingdom and went to uh, dwell in and around Jerusalem and in Judah. But, the, uh, but, but 10 of the tribes, including Ephraim and Manasseh, counted as two tribes, formed the northern kingdom under Jeroboam. Now we saw what God had promised to Jeroboam if he would be faithful to him and not rebel against his laws. But despite God's promise to bless him and give him a permanent legacy, Jeroboam was not faithful to God and led his people into apostasy, instituting a false system of worship in Israel. And so we read in 1 Kings 12, verse 26. 1 Kings 12, verse 26, Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. 
And this was his reasoning, which was a complete lack of faith on his part because God had already told him that he would make him the king of the ten tribes and uh, give him a permanent place as ruler if he would obey him. Going on to verse 28, it says, Therefore the king asked, asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. These were in cities in the northern and southern extremities of the territory of the northern kingdom. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines in the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month like the feast that was in Judah. In other words, like the Feast of Tabernacles, only it was a month later, and offered sacrifices on the altar. And so he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. Now, you might take note of the fact that Jeroboam had made these golden calves to be worshipped, but they were called by the name of Yahweh. So this was a form of worship that was using the name of the God of Israel, Yahweh, but it was a completely corrupt and false system of worship, an idolatrous system of worship, which God hated. In 1 Kings 13, verse 33, 1 Kings 13, verse 33, it says, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. So this was God's punishment for this grievous sin of Jeroboam that he was going to exterminate not only him, but his progeny. Later, the same prophet who had told Jeroboam that he would become king of Israel, a man named Ahiah, prophesied again of Jeroboam in 1 Kings 14, beginning in verse 7. 1 Kings 14, verse 7. Ahiah said to Jeroboam, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel, 
and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes, but you have done more evil than all who were before you. And you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam, and I will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Verse 14 of 1 Kings 14 says, Moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day. But what even now? And uh, this is, seems a little bit garbled in the English translation, but, but what uh, the meaning is, is that uh, God was going to raise up a king over Israel who would cut off the house of Jeroboam and the time was approaching because the king that was to be raised up was a man named Baasha who was at that very moment alive but yet not yet in power. And so God had already prepared a king to be raised up to replace Jeroboam and in doing so, to cut off his progeny. In 1 Kings 14, verse 15, it says, For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed which is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger and he will give up give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and made Israel to sin. So notice that the apostasy of Jeroboam was not limited to Jeroboam. The whole nation, virtually the entire nation, followed Jeroboam into this idolatrous pattern of conduct and the nation itself. God said, would be uprooted. And scattered beyond the river. That is beyond the, at least beyond the Jordan and probably meaning perhaps even the Euphrates. But uh, this was because they followed in the sins of Jeroboam. Now, they were responsible, of course, for their own conduct, which is why the nation itself was to be punished eventually for following this pattern of behavior. But they were led into it, so to speak, by Jeroboam. And it only got worse after that. In 1 Kings 15, verse 25, 1 Kings 15, verse 25, it says, Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. 
And he reigned over Israel two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. Then Baasha, the son of Ahiah, the house of, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Baasha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Baasha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him according to the word which the Lord had spoken by his servant Ahiah the Shilonite. Because of the sins of Jeroboam which he had sinned and by way of which he had made Israel to sin, because of his provocation which with, with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger, now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. And in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasha, the son of Ahiah, became, became king over all Israel in Tirzah and reigned 24 years. Now you might think that since Baasha was raised up as king to act as God's instrument of punishment on the house of, of Jeroboam, that he would learn the lesson not to be in rebellion against God. But notice in verse 34, it says of Baasha that he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel to sin. So neither he nor the people learned from this example of God's wrath on the house of Jeroboam. And in fact, none of the kings of Israel ever learned this lesson they all continued in this same path of apostasy and rebellion. <clears throat> Meanwhile, in Judah, we read in 1 Kings 14, verse 21, 1 Kings 14, verse 21, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, a city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother was Naamah and Ammonitis. Now, Judah did evil in the, the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed, more than all their fathers had done, for they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So both the kings of Israel and of Judah led their nations into apostasy. Now some of the kings of Judah were in fact faithful to God. Men such as Asa, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and Josiah, as well as several others who were faithful up to a point. But as I 
mentioned all the kings of Israel after the division of the kingdom and many of the kings of Judah were wicked and led the people in the way of apostasy or rebellion against God. And aiding and abetting the apostate kings were false prophets, of which there were many. And Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 5, verse 30, Jeremiah 5, verse 30, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? So it wasn't just the kings who were following the false path of apostasy. It was most of the prophets and the priests and most of the people, because the people loved to follow in this path of rejecting God's commandments. In Jeremiah 14, verse 14, Jeremiah 14, verse 14, the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name, and I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision divination, a worthless thing into the deceit of their own heart. So the rulers, most of the religious leaders, and most of the people of Israel and Judah, except during the reigns of some righteous kings of Judah, rebelled against God's law and were not faithful. The history of apostasy of Israel and Judah is summed up in the book of Nehemiah, Again, from Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 26. Nehemiah 9, verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. God was being addressed here by Nehemiah. And cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets that testified against them to turn them again to you. And they committed awful blasphemies. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their adversaries who distressed them in the time of their trouble when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your manifold mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their adversaries. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, therefore left you them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them again to your law. Yet they dealt proudly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, which if a man does, he shall live in them. Turn their back, stiffen their neck and would not hear. Yet many years you put up with them and testified against them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they... Uh, yet they uh, would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. <clears throat> That's from the Newhart translation. Because of their rebellion, God gave the people of Israel and Judah over to captivity, and they were driven out of their inherited land. Some of the people of Judah, after a period of exile, came back to Jerusalem and their own country. But Israel, the northern kingdom, 
remained exiled and became the so-called lost tribes of Israel. For the most part, they completely forgot who they were. They forgot that they were the people that God had chosen his, as his covenant nation, and to this day, they have forgotten who they are. Despite that, God's promises to Israel and Judah that were to be fulfilled in the latter days are being fulfilled in this present age despite our sins. There's more to this story to tell. Much suffering has resulted and will result from the rebellion of mankind against the Creator God. But God has allowed this for a reason. And in the end, as we will see in a future sermon, mankind will learn the lessons God wants to teach us and the world will be saved.